Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me for part two of Living Fearlessly, all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to jump right into the message today. We kind of ran out of time yesterday, but there's reasons that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's a quick review. Number one is because of changed lives. Uh, Whether it be Albert Einstein, whether it be Pascal or Isaac Newton or Francis Sellers Collins or George Washington Carver or Louis Pasteur, these are men who believed in the literal physical resurrection of Christ. Not only these men, but Paul says there was over 500 that witnessed the fact that Jesus had arisen and they were still alive perhaps at the day of Pentecost. So I believe in the resurrection because lives have been changed. In some lives, they were notorious criminals like the Apostle Paul, and his life was changed when he encountered the risen Savior. Famous people have been changed because of the power of the resurrected Savior. Number two, I believe in the resurrection because of historical evidence. We have so much evidence that points back, and this is also from non-believing historians who will predict and who recorded the fact that Jesus rose again. And Dr. Gary Habermas came up with 2,200 sources that support the case for the historical fact that Jesus rose again. Number three is the fact that we have written consistency with biblical manuscripts that were found very early accounts of the resurrection and the prophecies. As a matter of fact, there's about 6,000 early manuscripts. And none of these manuscripts that date back to within 100 years of the resurrection of Christ, none of these have any variation regarding the resurrection accounts. And then number four, we have the prophetic announcements. Isaiah and Daniel and David and Jesus himself talked about the fact that he was going to rise again. Jesus said that this evil and this adulterous generation is seeking for a sign. But they're not going to get a sign except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then we have a fifth reason that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, this is where we left off yesterday. The women reporters and our resurrection accounts include unflattering details that do not fit the expectations of a fabricated account. And one of the ways that we know Jesus rose again is because he appeared to women first. Women were the first to see the empty tomb. But in the first century, women could not be eyewitnesses in a court of law. They couldn't testify. There was a culture that didn't accept the testimony of women as a valid evidence in a court of law. So why would they accept the fact that these women are the ones who saw Jesus rise again unless it really is true? So I gave you the list of six women who were there and witnessed either the empty tomb or had an encounter with the risen Savior. The first was Joanna, and she was the woman who entered and discovered the tomb was empty, Luke chapter 24, 10. Then there was Mary Magdalene. She's also the one that was delivered from the seven demons. 
became a follower of Christ. She was a witness to the crucifixion and the burial of Christ, Matthew 27, 61. And she was among the women who went into that tomb on Sunday, Mark 16, 1, and John 20, verse number 1. She was the first person, according to Mark 16, 9, the first person to see Jesus alive. And she's the one that told the other disciples about his resurrection. And then the third woman that was there was Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she is the one that was present for Jesus's execution, his crucifixion. She was present for the burial. She witnessed his resurrected life. And so Mary is a eyewitness to the fact that her son, she was the earthly mother of Jesus, that she witnessed him as he rose again. And then is Mary, who was the mother of James and Joseph, or Joseph, and she witnesses Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. That's found in Matthew 27, 61, Mark 15, 40, and 47. The fifth woman there, and there's a lot of Marys, so it's easy to get these Marys confused. We have Mary, the mother of Jesus. We have Mary Magdalene, the one that the demons were cast out of. And then we have this Mary, Mary, who is the mother of James and Joseph, and then Mary, the wife of Cleopas. And she was a Galilean. And in John 19, 25, it seems most likely that she was there and she's being referred to as his mother's sister or Mary, the wife of Cleopas. So here we have an interesting situation where there's another Mary listed. And then the sixth woman that was at the empty tomb or saw the risen Savior was Salome, who was the mother of James and John. Uh, She was one of Jesus's followers in Galilee. She witnessed the crucifixion. She went to the tomb early on Sunday, according to Mark 15, 40 and Mark 16, 1. She is likely the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John. So here we have these accounts of women who were really not considered credible witnesses in the first century being the first to witness and the first to testify. Now, if you're trying to fabricate what happened, you're not going to use unreliable witnesses unless these unreliable witnesses really are telling the truth. There's something else that we must understand when it comes to the resurrection account. We look at the apostles and the change or the, or the transformation that takes place in their lives. Now, do you remember where the disciples were when Jesus was on the cross? They were hunkered down. They were hiding. They were filled with fear. I, I guess their thought process was, If they could do this to Jesus, the Son of God, uh, what could they do to us? Uh, So they were fearful. So they're hunkering down. They're hiding. The apostles didn't believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. That's why they were hiding. And as a result, they were driven by fear. But after the, the resurrection, they changed. They go from cowards to filled with courage. They're strong and they're bold and and they're confident and and they're even able to die in the defense of the resurrection. Now, one of sound mind is not going to knowingly die, willingly die for a lie. These guys were convinced that Jesus literally rose again 
and they were never again quite the same. Peter never again denied Christ. Thomas never again doubted. None of the disciples were filled with fear. When they saw the resurrected Savior, they were transformed. Well, there's a seventh reason why I believe in the literal, physical resurrection of Christ. Number seven is there's an empty tomb. Paul tells us that Christ died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was buried and rose again. You see, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Instead, we receive God's spirit according to Romans 8.15 when we were adopted into the family of God. Now we call him Abba, Father. I want you to know because of the resurrection of Christ, we can live without fear. All because of what we know and what we experience because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here are five ways to live without fear. Number one, we can live without fear because we know Jesus is the truth. Romans 1.4 says that Jesus Christ was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead. The resurrection is fact. The resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead, if that happened, then whatever else Jesus said is also true. If Jesus was right when he says, I'm going to rise again, then he's right about everything that he had said. Now, if he's wrong about his own resurrection, then he's wrong about everything else that he says. You see, his death proved that he was fully man, but his resurrection proved that he was fully God. Listen, we don't have to walk in fear because Jesus is truth. Jesus said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to abandon you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm so glad that I am never having to worry about the fact of Jesus ever leaving me. John 10, 28 says that we are in the Father's hands and no man can pluck them out. How did we get in the Father's hands? All because of the work of the resurrection. We are safe and secure. I know when that verse says no man can pluck them out, that includes me. I can't pluck myself out because I didn't put myself in. I am saved all because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. I don't have to walk around in fear because Jesus is truth. In John 7, Jesus says, He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given. But Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus was transcended up into heaven during his ascension, at that moment, the Spirit of God descended and took up residence within believers. We do not live in fear because we know Jesus is truth. Number two, we know that death doesn't end at all. We're told in Hebrews that because of the resurrection of Christ, that Jesus broke Satan's power of death. In other words, if Jesus had never risen, Satan would have had a power of death over us. But because Jesus rose again, we are set free. We're no longer enslaved to fear of dying. 
we have been set free. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we know that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us. This is why we never give up. Even though our physical bodies are becoming older and they're getting weaker, our spirit inside us is making us new every single day. And in verses 16 and 17, Paul reminds us of something, our present troubles that we're going through right now. They're quite small, and they're not going to last very long, but they are producing in us an eternal glory that is going to last. There it is forever. Death doesn't end at all. For the believer, death is really the beginning of our eternal residence in heaven the beginning of our everlasting life. Paul reminds us we don't have to be fearful because every trouble that we're facing this day or tomorrow or the troubles that we had yesterday, they're quite small. They're not going to last very long, even if they last a lifetime. You know, I just recently celebrated a birthday, and I want you to know that I am way past the halfway point in my life. If we were to liken my life to like like a football game, I would say that I'm toward the end of the third quarter, okay? Uh, I haven't quite started the fourth quarter yet, but I'm definitely near the end of the third quarter. Now, listen, the game's not won in the third quarter. It's not lost in the third quarter. There's still time left. Death doesn't end at all. Maybe you're listening to me today, and you're well into the fourth quarter of your life. I want you to know, you you may feel like your body's falling apart. You may feel like you're getting weaker. Uh, You don't have the stamina that you used to have. Your body may be racked with pain and arthritis, and and you may be struggling just to walk and to get up every day. I want you to know that what you're going through is producing in you an eternal glory that will last forever. These are light momentary afflictions. Now, I'm not diminishing them. I understand they're real, and I understand how difficult uh, life can be, but keep the end in mind. Death doesn't end at all. Number three, I don't have to walk in fear because I know God's love is extravagant. Paul put it this way in Romans 5, verse number eight. God demonstrated his great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinning against him. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 8, nothing will ever separate us from God's love. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, the demons can't, our fears for today our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell itself can't keep us away from God's love. And Paul said, well, just in case I missed something in this list, he says, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, that's extravagant love, isn't it? Nothing can stop it. John says, wherever God's love is, There is no fear, because God's perfect love drives out all fear. Since fear is crippling, our fearful life is a life not fully formed in God's love. I'm so thankful for the extravagant love of God that drives out fear. 
And now listen, if you ever see me in a public building and you see me running up the stairs and you ask me, well, why don't you take the elevator? Uh, it's a lot quicker. And I'm saying, well, I'm trying to get myself in shape, right? So I take the stairs. Well, you know, that's kind of not the truth. <laughs> I'm probably taking the stairs because I have this fear of elevators. Now, it's not that I'm afraid of elevators per se. I'm fearful of getting trapped in one, right? And, and I'm fearful that I can't get out and I battle claustrophobia. Uh, but I, I have learned that even God's perfect love can drive out that fear. And if you ever uh, have the, uh, the unpleasant opportunity of being in the same airplane as me, and you happen to sit next to me in the airplane, I, I want you to know I don't like to fly, and not because I'm fearful of a crash. I'm fearful of getting trapped inside of that tube that they call an airplane. And so every time I take a trip, uh, whether it be a mission trip, I'll always get next to somebody, and I get chatty when I get fearful, right? Uh, one year we had one of our teenagers and and Tyler was going with us and uh, Tyler's a neat guy. And so I was assigned to sit next to Tyler. Well, you know, Tyler wanted to zone out, put his earbuds in and just enjoy the uh, the two-hour flight. But no, he had to be next to me. And so I talked his ear off for two hours from the time we put our luggage in the overhead compartment until that plane landed and we got our luggage out. I was talking the ear off of, off of Tyler. I never seen a young guy get off a plane so fast. He couldn't wait to get off that plane. But I think about God's love. It's extravagant. And I should tap into his love to drive out that fear. God's perfect love drives out all fear. John says that fear is crippling. A fearful life is a life not fully formed in God's love. We know that God's love is extravagant. So the next time you, you, you're drifting into fear, just remember how much God loves you. Number four, we don't have to walk in fear because we know that God has an extraordinary plan for our lives. His extravagant love drives us to this extraordinary plan because Jesus was raised from the dead, said Peter. We've been given a brand new life. We have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and that future starts right now. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for good to those who love him and to those who have been called according to his purposes. Listen, we have this extraordinary plan that God wants to reveal to us. He's not trying to hide that plan from us. Just as he rose Jesus from the dead, he can give us a good future, a future that starts right now. And there's a fifth reason. This is the last reason that I give you as to why we can walk without being filled with fear. We know, number one, Jesus is the truth. We know, number two, death doesn't end at all. Number three, we know that God has this extravagant love for us. Number four, we know that God has these extraordinary plans for our lives. And then number five, we know that our extensive needs are covered. They're covered. Now, my son, Seth, because of his autism, has extraordinary needs. And so to help with these extraordinary needs, my wife and I have extensive insurance coverage. 
with two health plans to cover his needs. If we didn't, on any given month, his medication alone runs between 2500 and 3000 not to mention any doctor visits, not to mention any kind of uh, special surgeries that he has to have, and even simple things like, uh, there's nothing simple, like going to the dentist is not a simple endeavor. Uh, he has to have extensive surgery anytime he has dental work done. And so uh, he's doubly covered because his needs are extraordinary. So the other day, Sherry went to the pharmacy to pick up some of his medication. And, and with our extensive two-policy coverage, and the pharmacist said, the bill will be $179. Are <laughs> you kidding me, right? Uh, the, the pharmacy said, well, let me run it through again to make sure that both insurances are covered. And, and sure enough, $179. And so then the pharmacy said, well, let me run it now through the reward point system instead of your insurance. And she did that. And she says, well, uh, here's the total, $53. You know, when I heard that, I said, well, I'm really glad we got that extensive coverage, right? You ever feel like your extensive coverage has failed you? Well, I know that my extensive needs are covered because of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 says, and Paul is writing, and he says, I pray that you begin to understand the incredible power that is available to those who trust God. He says it's the same mighty power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That same power. And so Paul says, because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. There we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. Jesus himself referred to the fact that he is going to take care of us that he knows our extensive needs, and he knows how to cover them. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't worry about everyday life. Can you, in all of your worrying, add a single moment to your life? Well, no. So Jesus says, well, don't act like unbelievers. Your heavenly Father already knows what you need, and he'll give it to you. If you make his kingdom your primary concern, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has its own trouble. I am so glad that the Lord has taken care of our needs. Max Licato in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, tells the story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a very remote part of the jungle. They lived near a very large river. The tribe was in need of medical attention. A contagious disease was ravaging the population. People were dying daily. A hospital was not too terribly far away, but it was just across the river. But the Indians would not cross it because they believed the river was inhabited by evil spirits, and so that if you entered into that river, it would mean certain death. The missionary that was there tried to explain how he had crossed the river and was unharmed, but they were not impressed. Then he took him to the bank, and he placed his hand in the water. Still, they wouldn't go in. 
He walked into the water, up to his waist, and he splashed water on his face. It didn't matter. They were still afraid to enter the river. Finally, he dove into the river, swam beneath the surface, and he emerged on the other side. As he came out of that water, he raised up his fist in triumph in the air. He entered the water and escaped. It was then that the Indians broke into a cheer and they followed him across. Isn't that what Jesus did? He entered that river of death and he came out the other side so that we might no longer fear death, but we might find eternal life in him. Oh, my friends, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. Would you trust him today? Trust him not only with your everlasting life, but you can trust him with your daily life as well. If I can help you in any way, feel free to shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365, 252-267-2365. You can call me on that number and I have to probably get back to you and probably go into voicemail. But I want you to know I'm praying for you that God will deliver you from your fears today. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast, 252-267-2365. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.